Well, hello, sir. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for coming back to me. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, no, this is wonderful. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. How's your day going so far? Oh, pretty good. I did a, just a virtual meet and greet with someone on LinkedIn earlier today, which was nice. That was that was a lot of fun. And then went and picked the dog up from the groomer. So okay. my, my wife dropped her off and I got to pick her up. She was thrilled to see me. There you go. That's a, uh, the, team, <laughs> the team effort. So That's important. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. How's your day going? It's going pretty good. Um, you know, yesterday I had a, an ex interesting experience for the first time in my life. Oh, excuse me. Apologize. First time in my life, um, I had one of my long-term friends when I was younger. When I was in college in South Carolina, I met this kid named Alejandro Sanz, who was always a super passionate younger kid for cooking. Mm -hmm. Me and him lost touch back in 2011 when I left South Carolina. And he had recently just called me and said, hey, man, you know, I've been a chef for the last couple of years traveling around on yachts. I'm going to be spending some time in Europe going on like an inspiration discovery journey to like kind of get a new taste for my cooking. I'd love to be able to meet up with you. So I was thinking about flying to Vegas and maybe we could like spend the day together. And so oh, awesome. I, uh, I took a little bit of time off from work and uh, was able to just like catch up with somebody. And it was crazy to say, you know, as we were sitting at the bar together when's the last time we saw each other? And we were like, that was over a decade ago. And so yeah. that was the first like life experience I've had of like catching up with a long-term friend. Um, but like learning about each other, experiencing kind of what we've been through the trials and tribulations and hearing about each other's journey was something that was uh, really, really soul fulfilling. So I feel really charged up to kind of be back in the seat. Oh, that's today. great. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love those types of friendships where you um, know somebody really well, like through younger years or through college and then you get back together with those folks and it in many ways it feels like time hasn't passed at all but there's still so much to catch up on yeah so that, that's kind of the experience that i had when we went to michigan this summer as a family um, i caught up with two college friends and uh, got to stay with them and spend some time with them and it was just so wonderful it felt like no time had passed but our stories had so much had happened like we stayed up till you know two in the morning talking trying to catch up with each other uh so so much fun yeah i mean it's just a, a part of life that i haven't really experienced yet you know i've been like on this journey by myself what it feels like myself for quite some time but being able to recognize that we're all kind of on the human experience of life and being able to have those checkpoints to catch up with people um is super fulfilling and i need to kind of prioritize a little bit more you know, Brent, I often find myself finding victim or falling victim to the like entrepreneurial grind. Sometimes mm -hmm. I find myself passing up on a lot of those opportunities. And yesterday was kind of like an opportunity for me to refocus on what's really important. Because um, I never know when I'll see Alejandro again. You know what I mean? Sure. I don't know if something could happen in the next couple of years. And so it was just nice to be able to touch base with somebody um, and just really appreciate that human time together. Yeah, no, that's so true. I, I think I can easily get caught up in like the, the side business that I have of, of helping kids, you know, with the, their attention and focus issues and, and working in the clinic and um, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do with that next. Am I supposed to grow it or am I supposed to just stay the, the, the face of it and stay in control of it? Um, and it, it does feel so good to get pulled out of that. I think that's why vacation is so important too. you know, just mm -hmm. to be able to spend time somewhere else outside of the normal daily cycle. It's just something refreshing about that. So here's a question for you. Um, and I'm changing up kind of like the format of the podcast, because I want to keep everything a little bit more conversational. Sure. Um, you know, so would you mind kind of diving a little bit into your background a little bit about kind yeah. of how you got started in your entrepreneurial journey? 
Um, you know, I've recognized that you've held some, you know, different associate professor positions in some different organizations. And it's very interesting to hear, you know, you have the entrepreneurial side of your business or of your life. And then you also have, you know, the professional educator side of your business as well. And I just absolutely loved, you know, when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, the about me section, you know, you say raised by wolves, forged by fire. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that was something I thought was so on point for you, you know, you as a person. Um, so yeah. like, why don't you share a little bit about kind of your background for everybody who might be listening to this episode today and kind of where you came from? Sure. Yeah. So I've, I've been a counselor educator now for about a decade, and that just means that I teach graduate counseling uh, at the university level. I've been doing that full time for about a decade. And uh, I think that counselors and counselor education programs do a very good job of teaching people how to do therapy well. Um, that's something that we emphasize. But when it comes to actually running a business or how to hang a shingle and do private practice, I think that's where counselor educators fall short and leave people kind of hanging who want to do more of the entrepreneurship, um, which a lot of them do. A lot of people want to do private practice. And so um, that's one of the reasons I went back to do an MBA is to learn more about business and entrepreneurship and how to make that run and work. I think it when I hit 40, it was like a real pivotal time for me and, and just changing gears and recognizing and if, if I'm lucky enough to live a full life, like this is it, this is midlife, I'm here already. And so um, I really had this itch to, to know more and do more. And so I've really tried to, to um, indulge that entrepreneurial side of, of who I am. And kind of a funny story, I haven't told anybody this on LinkedIn, but um, funny story about the MBA program. Um, we had just gone through the pandemic and I had this itch to do something more. I wasn't feeling challenged. And I get tuition reimbursement, like free tuition because I teach at the school. Um, I can go through any other programs for, for no charge. So I, I decided to do this MBA program, but I thought, you know what, my, my wife probably isn't going to be on board with this. Mm. Um, I think I'm just going to go through this and see, see how far I can make it without saying anything to anybody. Because a lot of people say they need that, um, you know, that, that nurturing and those relationships along the way to get through school. So I tried to do it independently. I went through the whole program without my family knowing that I did an MBA. And then my daughter is, who's going to be 17 soon. Uh, she's looking at colleges. So I said, why don't we go? Because for those who don't know, I live in Kansas city and work remotely for Indiana Wesleyan university full time. And so I said, okay, let's go check out Indiana Wesleyan university and see what you think about this school. We'll just do a campus visit. You can come up when I go up for graduation. Once, you know, mom's going to go too. it'll be a fun trip. Well, we drove when we got to St. Louis, I had made myself a graduation card and we, we stopped at a Starbucks in St. Louis and I gave them both this card and they opened it up and, and it, they're just shocked. You know, I, I'd gone through this MBA program and, and they were actually going to my graduation, but they didn't know it. Yeah. They thought they were just going for the campus visit. So uh, that was, that was a blast to, to do that reveal and, and uh, surprise them with that. How did you keep all of that under wraps? You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, so I feel- I'm an online professor. And so like I do everything online. I'm also doing, I was doing a different master's program too online at the same time. All the books come electronically through ebook services and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I would just carve out time on Monday morning and maybe, you know, again at the end of the week to do the papers and response posts and quizzes and things like that. 
and ended up working through the program. And um, it was just, it was kind of, kind of funny, kind of a funny story. I didn't know how she was going to react. I didn't know if she was going to hit me or hug me, you know? And so I think um, she probably wanted to, to, to hit me, but she hugged me uh, and, and we had a, had a good time with that. Oh man, that's so cool. Um, you know, because I feel like a lot of people do feel like you have to have that supportive relationship when you go through a program like that. But I mean, I think there's so much opportunity today for people to take advantage of the online programs that are available. Um, you know, so I'm super proud of you for, you know, taking it upon yourself and kind of scratching that itch. You know, one of the biggest things that I've found in my entrepreneurial life has been the challenges that come along with wanting to do more. And sometimes I find myself falling victim to that wanting to do more stuff. So you said, you know, you were trying to scratch that itch as well. What kind of areas in your life were you not feeling fulfilled when it came to, you know, your practice and counseling and doing the higher education, stuff like that? Um, what areas were you kind of like missing? I just think that, you know, we only have one shot at this life and I only have one shot at today, you know, and then tomorrow's going to come and that's going to be a whole nother day, but I can't redo today what I've already done. So I want to make sure that I'm using every moment of my life to, to make sure that I'm doing something that's going to impact other people. And, and that's where I'm at in my life right now. And I think that's um, important for people who are viewing this to know, like, if, if you did go to school for some time and you maybe you didn't go to school, maybe you just read a lot about a particular area and you're a, a content expert in an area, or maybe you've done a lot of study or listened to a lot of podcasts or, or influential people about a per certain subject matter, like it is so important to share that knowledge with other people. Otherwise, um, you just take it with you to the grave, right? So there's, there's this piece about wanting to satisfy this itch of helping people um, one person at a time. Uh, and I get a lot of reward out of like personal gain from helping people one-on-one. -on -one. But then I also get that in the classroom, but also seeing it, like, how can I satisfy that itch on a larger level, on a macro level, even through places like LinkedIn, where you can reach people in the masses of, of being able to spread positivity or whatever that message may be that, that a person has. Like there's so many different platforms and ways that you can think of in today's day and time and age about how to, how to share yourself with other people. Yeah, I feel like, you know, the ability to utilize these platforms to spread a message um, of encouragement, of positivity is kind of where my heart sits right now. And that's where we and you were able to connect, you know, mm -hmm. seeing that you are also a positivity advocate, a positivity spreader, I think is so important. Why do you think, especially in today's world, optimism and positivity are so important to kind of lean into, um, I guess, in contrast to everything else that's going on in the world? Yeah. So this is kind of interesting. Yesterday, I was scrolling through LinkedIn, and somebody had a, a poll up, you know, how people will post polls. And, and the question was, does the news have a negative impact on your health? It may be the way that the question was phrased. Uh, but I was really interested to see the results. So you don't know the results unless you actually participate in the poll. So yeah. I clicked on No, it doesn't. Because my, my line of thinking behind that is, that the news is news. And a lot of times the news is, is slanted negatively just to get viewership and that sort of thing. But it's how you respond to the news that really dictates how you're gonna feel or if it's gonna influence you negatively. I hear negative stories as a therapist all the time. Is that gonna influence me negatively? It could, but I have to buffer myself 
you know, with that. So it was surprising to me on this poll, 93% of the people that took it and there were 250 people. So it was a pretty wow. decent sample size said that yes, news does negatively impact my health where 7% were saying no. So I think it's really an interesting uh, point of view to say that uh, the way I'm exposed to things influences the way that I feel, but there's also a piece that I can override that with my brain, with my mind, and be able to say, uh, this may be negative stimuli, how am I gonna let that affect me? That choice is a very tough one to consistently come to, you know, the real moment and choose to not let those things affect you. Mm -hmm. um, because I often hear there's a famous saying, not a famous saying, but I heard Denzel Washington one time talk about the news. He was like, you know, if you are over watching the news, sometimes you are misinformed. But if you are not watching the news, then you are underinformed. And I have the same pr perspective that you do. Um, I guess I'm on both sides of the fence there. It's like I see the way in which the media and the news today has been optimized for attention. And a lot of times that means slanting towards negativity. But how are we supposed to live in this world today and not understand what's going on? And sometimes deploying that decision to be able to say, okay, I'm seeing what's happening in the world, but I'm not going to allow it to dominate my day or dominate my mindset. That's very difficult to kind of, you know, overcome. And I think a lot of people struggle with because they see that outward stimuli, sometimes that means that they're being wrapped up in the emotions that come along with that kind of like dictation of thought, if that makes sense. Sure, absolutely. So I think that there's probably space for some education on how people interact or interface with the world today. And it looks a lot different. These are challenges that people in previous generations haven't ever had to uh, worry about, right? I mean, mm -hmm. to, to be able to, uh, understand how my feed on on whatever platform I'm thinking about is curated to hold my attention. Even the alerts that I get are curated to hold my attention. Uh, that you know can have a negative impact um, if you allow it to. So uh, yeah, I think I think that's all very very valid points. Yeah, how are we supposed to balance that attention aspect of things today? You know, the one thing I think about that we find challenging, and I think even in a, an area of, you know, attention deficit disorder comes from the impacts of everything that we're experiencing on a daily basis. There's always a new story. There's always something else trying to grab our attention. There's always like the next thing um, that kind of, you know, impacts how we view this current moment. But how are we supposed to, you know, stay more focused and stay attentive in this moment when so much is coming at us? Yeah, I know you've had some guests on your show talking about mindfulness. And I think mindfulness, you know, maybe going back and reviewing some of those sessions that, that people are watching this, you've got great content out there to go to the archives and look at the library on mindfulness. I think that's a wonderful resource, number one. But I also, you know, think it's, it's important for folks to be um, reflective, because so often it's easy to become reactive in the kind of world that we live in. Uh, but to be reflective and pause and think about how it's impacting you, not just your thought patterns, but also your physiological makeup. I've, I've been doing a lot of studying in polyvagal theory lately. And it's essentially stating that the vagus nerve plays a big impact in how we respond to the stimuli around us. So that before I get to perception, there's actually this experience called neuroception that's that's understanding and making sense of the world through my nervous system. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I also think about how that impacts 
the way that we communicate with each other. And because so much of our communication isn't face-to-face -face anymore, uh, to what degree um, does that influence the way that we think about the world around us? How? Yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting concept. The way in which I kind of relate with the study that you're doing right now or the information that you're trying to study is um, like epigenetics, right? We have so much chemical genetic reaction to emotions and how we feel. And that definitely has a perception on how we perceive information, how we perceive experiences and being able to kind of get down to that level of consciousness, I think is um, very interesting because I think a lot of times we don't give enough credit to the processes that occur in our body, in our mind, prior to us feeling the emotion or even the response that we have in certain situations. Mm -hmm. So why did you kind of find so much? Why are you motivated to learn more so about the vagal system and everything that's going on? Yeah. So, I mean, because I, I've spent so much of my career thinking about cognitive behavioral theory and the ways that our thoughts influence our behaviors. And I feel like a lot of uh, people who write on LinkedIn also move in that way, like our, our thoughts inform our behaviors or our thoughts inform our emotions. And in many ways, I think people are missing the mark with that. Like it's so bi-directional. Mm. The, the way that I feel emotionally, it may be more of a guttural emotion that's a bottom up processing that really has nothing to do with my prefrontal cortex. It has more to do with how my nervous system's responding to the environment around me as opposed to my head. So it's a, it's a faster, it's a faster moving system um, that I think is oftentimes ignored. Uh, and so I think that it's not proper to say that, that, that our thoughts inform our behavior all the time because we're embodied people and we have to consider how our bodies uh, are affected by the stimuli around us. And so you see studies about like the gut brain connection, it's working in the opposite way. So really maybe what, you know, something that I've, I've ingested or something that um, is, is impacting me and the world around me that's influencing my nervous system affects my thoughts, which then affects my behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think that we, we kind of miss that point there uh, oftentimes, which um, really drives the way we conceptualize uh, behavior in the first place. One of the things that I think about um, when you say that is just the understanding that we are a whole system and all of our mm -hmm. systems impact each other. Um, so. You know, I heard one time this guy was talking about mindset and coming into a meeting or a sales meeting. And he was like, do you ever have days when you feel like you wake up and you're just not in the best mood? And sometimes you just feel like, oh, well, you know, it must be kind of how my brain is working today. But we never really take the audit of, did you eat like greasy food last night before you went to bed? And so right. maybe you do not have the appropriate nutrients in your system that it's allowing for you to release the serotonin so you can feel on top of your game to go into that. And yeah, that sense absolutely. of awareness is incredibly interesting to me. And I think we do need to pay more attention to that because we are whole humans in general. We're not just our thoughts, which impact our emotions and our, you know, everything else that comes beyond that. Yeah. And, and another example of this is like studies about and, and, and literature that she writes about body posture and the way that we posture ourselves even before coming on a talk like this, you know, am I, am I sitting like this waiting for, for me to talk with, with you or, you know, am I have open posture? Am, am I, you know, those sorts of things is bottom up way. It's, it's not what I'm telling myself. It's the way that I'm holding and carrying my body that sends messages to my brain that then gives me uh, a certain feeling or, or 
sends me to be reactive or behave in a different way. There was a, I saw Tony Robbins talking about this and he was um, giving reference. Anybody who can see the show right now, if I were to go into like a Superman pose or a Superwoman pose, exactly. we talk yes. about this and like the direct correlation between like lowering our cortisol levels and being able to participate in actions that are more risky. When we give ourselves the opportunity to like posture up for, I want to say like as little as 30 seconds. And like the direct correlation between your physical posture and how your brain then releases chemicals to, I guess, approach the next moment differently is so interesting to me that there Absolutely. are ways in which we can impact how our brain is processing information just on how we posture our body. That's so cool. Absolutely. I, and I love talking about this and moving the conversation into this vein of it's not all about head knowledge. It's not all about how we self-talk. It's not all about the, the messages that we're sending to ourselves uh, through thinking, it has a lot to do with the way that we're feeling that informs our thinking. It has a lot to do with our behavior that, that maybe preceded the thoughts. Uh, and, and I know that sounds crazy to say, but the nervous system constantly is reacting to the environment before our brain even hits conscious awareness. And that's mm -hmm. one reason why when we touch a hot stove or something like that, we yank away before we think to, to yank our hand away. Well, the autonomic nervous system, which is a different system than that system, just to clarify that, it's a different part of the, 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 the nervous system, but the autonomic nervous system is, is also sending and receiving messages about, is this a safe place or is this a dangerous place? And how, how I interpret that is going to directly influence the way that I communicate with you or anybody else that I'm communicating with, yeah, which, I mean, think, which I think is just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, I think about the process of evolution in general and how we've been able to subconsciously recognize what is a safe place for us, what behaviors are associated with a safe place, and then those dangerous places as well that we find ourselves in. And so I think everybody who's listening to the show today can find themselves in those moments of being like, I just don't feel safe here. And a lot of that doesn't come from our conscious thought, but it comes from that, sub, that subconscious recognition of how we're Kind of wired as humans and like that conversation is just so interesting to me because it takes it so much deeper than just our you know our consciousness and how we're approaching those different moments right so the next question is like how do you deal with that in therapy and, you know like if if someone's coming to see me as a therapist and i'm trying to talk somebody through their excuse me experience of feeling um like they're they're in threat or a posture of danger um it's it becomes more about my presence and my attunement with that person than it does about me saying the right things in that moment. And so that's, that's another piece that I also harp on as a counselor educator is, you know, we, we need to do better at the business part, you know, like we talked about earlier, also need to do better about presence and being. Um, it's not all about saying what to say next or in your conceptualization of a client and the presenting problems, what you're going to do next. It's also about how am I with you? How comfortable do you feel in this moment? Um, what can I do to lead you to feel like I'm a safe, I'm a safe place? Uh, th there has to be that buy-in. Yeah, I mean, the, the provider-client relationship, right? And the alignment between the two is so vitally important. And I hear often, you know, my friends or family members who will go into therapy and they'll say like, I'm just not vibing with this counselor or with this therapist, so I need to go talk to somebody else. And so prioritizing how you can establish the relationship between you two 
is from my perspective, fundamental towards establishing a relationship that's gonna provide opportunities for growth, but more importantly, assessment as you go through the process as well. Um, Absolutely. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm, so it's, it's my world, you know, to the, the whole therapy scene. And so like, I think it's really important for viewers to know if they are looking for a therapist and they don't vibe with that person, it's okay to shop around. And mm-hmm. I don't know that that message has gotten out there to, to everyone, right? That it's important for you to find a good fit. And so therapists are trained to be able to give referrals to people if they don't feel like it's a good fit. It's part of our job description to make sure that you find the right fit. So always as you're shopping around for a therapist, make sure that it's a good fit before you get going. But is there, a, is there another side of it that sometimes maybe we don't let ourselves from a growth perspective get to the place of being vulnerable enough to kind of experience that growth as well? Um, because I know that, you know, I've distracted myself by saying like, this isn't the right fit. And maybe like I'm running from opportunities that I know kind of will dig a little bit deeper. Does that make sense? It could be, it could be. Yeah. And I think it's important for people who are doing the therapy to recognize that it may not be what the client wants to do, but as a therapist, I know it may be the, in the best interest of the client to, to go down a certain path or to lead down a certain path. So Mm -hmm. I'm very much. Um, wanting to give autonomy and the, the the freedom of agency to the client to be able to choose where to go. But I also want to flex those muscles that you're talking about of, of maybe going to uncomfortable places in order to find the kind of healing and growth that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So can I reverse the conversation a little bit? You know, I yeah. hear your passion for, you know, just helping this next generation of counselors, therapists who get into our space, have a business understanding, but also, you know, the professionalism of being able to establish those relationships. Early in your life, how did you find yourself in the space of mental and behavioral health? Did you have any like inspirational moments that kind of like took you down the path of like, oh, I know this is for me? Or what was kind of like your early process like? Yeah, my my earliest memory of like wanting to get into psychology was before I went into college. And I really I think a lot of people fall into this place of they had a high school teacher or a college teacher that taught psychology that like, oh, this blows the door open. This is what I'm looking for. And so I, I think that's what initially got me into it. And then I became more fascinated with the the brain and how neurochemicals work and the physiology behind the brain and body and the interaction between all of the different systems. And so I fell into that space when I was actually doing my master's program to do talk therapy and clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when um, I was going through my dissertation, uh, my, my daughter was diagnosed with brain cancer. And at that point, I was in a trajectory to do research and, and, and understand the brain better. Uh, but I really found that the talk therapy is something that would be more meaningful for me as a career path for me personally. Um, and so she she did go through that that um, process of of chemotherapy and and so forth. She she passed away after two years when she was three and a half. But I really decided during that was a formative stage in my own personal growth and development to say, I want to get back in the room and do counseling with individuals and and meet one on one with people and do groups and facilitate groups. And so that's what led into um, you know, counselor education. And I never thought that I would be a professor because I was terrified of, of speaking in large groups and that sort of thing. 
but uh, it's just something that sort of developed over time. I've always, I've always taken this route of, of moving toward the road that's, that's more, that's harder, that's more difficult and leaning into those, those challenges rather than shying away and doing things that are easier. And I think that's one thing that's been very rewarding over time. Yeah. Well, you know, once again, from our private conversation, I'm just so sorry that you had to go through, you know, the experience with your daughter. I know everybody else is kind of maybe hearing this more so for the first time and getting to introduce themselves to you or vice versa. Um, and so my heart goes out to you. Um, leaning into those hard roads is sometimes the most rewarding thing that I think we can do. And, you know, hearing your personal experience and kind of going through you know, the grief and loss and losing your daughter, going through the depressive state and then coming into, you know, being somebody who is so positive and presents themselves that way. How did you find kind of the fortitude to kind of move past that? Because that's something that, you know, I think we can all relate with is going through hardship, maybe not as extreme as what you did, but being able to come out the other side and being the person who you present as today is mm -hmm. truly inspiring. And you oh, know, I just you. want to kind of, you know, show gratitude for who you are and who you present as today. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, no, I think it took time definitely to, to move into that space of, of feeling comfortable enough to share my story and for that of my experience. So I, I hope I don't come across as being callous in the way that I present that, but I've, I've shared about my daughter so many different times, you know, in the past. And so um, I think it's, it's a very important part of my story. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, I think, there are several things that helped. One is like doing my own journaling, doing my own self-discovery. Um, then also uh, being on medication, uh, frankly, is, is was helpful too. So, um, you know, I, I, I owe a lot, I think, to the doctors, you know, the, who help with the medication and getting that just right as well, because we we're talking about genetics earlier, and I could never understand what depression was until I went through that experience with our daughter. Yeah. And so I think that gene expression that you're talking about with epigenetics, something flipped like a switch in my brain when she became ill. And um, I had to contend with uh, so many different parts of life that I didn't think I would have to to deal with at that stage. And so um, from that point on, though, I've had to deal with depression and my own struggles with that. So um, that's one of the reasons I think that it's important to be uh, positive for other individuals that are out there that may be in a similar state that I was 12 years ago when our daughter was sick. I think the um, <clears throat> the framework of optimism is so powerful. You know, I think it's sometimes we find ourselves going through hardship and having a choice to be able to make to present ourselves in a positive manner. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just recognize how much fortitude it takes to be able to establish the new normal that occurs in your life. And I know that's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what advice do you have for the people out there who find themselves in times of challenge, times of hardship, times of adversity, who are looking to kind of look to the future and how they can start deploying some of the positive mindset and the frameworks that you've been able to develop that will help them kind of get to the next place of, you know, more solid ground. Yeah. I think therapy plays a huge role in that, right. Of, of being able to have somebody else walk on this journey with you, uh, but have that as a special relationship because I have plenty of friends that could help me through that and, and they did help me. I can't underscore like the, the amount of assistance that both my wife and I received 
friendships and people that were just outpouring their support. Uh, but having a special relationship where someone's not going to be just giving advice to you. Um, they're just going to be actively listening and giving you encouragement. And um, I think that you find something inside of yourself within those therapeutic environments that are designed specifically to evoke certain experiences. Um, so therapy, I think, is a, is a huge um, a part of moving past that. Um, I also think you just find perspective when you know you've you've experienced loss and pain and I'm, I'm sure you have those experiences you know in your own life of, of experiencing pain and loss and um, when you do I think your perspective shifts about what's important in life and and how to move forward in that to make a positive impact and I think some of those experiences are fundamental to the human experience in general you know I think often we find ourselves operating in this silver lining of everything is okay and sometimes mm -hmm. maybe we lose the perspective of what is truly important mm -hmm. and I know that you know we do a lot of work from my business perspective in supporting um, end-of-life transition so like hospice services bereaved individuals and providing those additional touch points of support as we go through that you know, some of the toughest experience that I've had in my life was, you know, when my grandmother passed away, unfortunately, not being able to say goodbye to her was one of those moments where everything kind of reshifted into what was important. 2021, my father got diagnosed with prostate cancer, went through that experience as well. And it's interesting how life in itself has a way of showing you truly what is so much more important than just like the dollars or the cars or the materialistic things. And so I found myself trying to be a positive influence on others on a platform like LinkedIn to be able to spread a, a message of positivity and encouragement, because I recognize that, you know, sometimes it's not about what you accomplish, but it's about how you make people feel at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, people like you do an amazing job of letting people understand your story, having people relate with you, and then also sharing, you know, the vulnerability of we're not all going to be perfect. And this is one thing that I often find when it comes to positivity, people think that you have to be positive all the time. But I recognize that it's very, very difficult and or impossible to go through life positive all the time and not experience these fundamental, you know, human experiences of hardship. But being able to create frameworks in my life to be able to have the choice and you use that word earlier, and I want to use that again to respond to those certain moments is something that's kind of helped me get through some of my more challenging times. And I think maybe you'll relate with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, 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 the part about having depression and owning that piece, I think is important for people maybe who are listening to say this defies himself as a positivity spreader, but at the same time, he struggles with depression. Like those things can, can be together in the same person. They don't have to be separated. Um, they can just be parts of self. So there's parts of me that wants to cheer people on, that wants to see them do well, that wants to see them succeed, that wants to connect, that wants to have relationship and build relationships. But there's also this other part that from time to time rears its ugly head and says, I don't want to get out of bed or I don't feel like interacting with people. Um, and, and that's okay. And those two can coexist among so many other variables that, that have to do that make up with me and who I am. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that's common ground that we all share, that there's these different parts of self that um, can coexist with each other. And it's not all rainbows and whatever, strawberries and everything else that's yeah. good and fun. Um, but there's, there's um, you know, there's also parts of self that, that struggle 
and that's real. Uh, and I think it's important to show that side. And I think we're at a unique point in time where maybe we're seeing the pendulum shift back towards the humanality that we all experience. You know, I feel like for so long on social media, um, we've all been our best PR agent and showing only the happy moments, only the moments of success, only the moments of victory. And I think maybe we're at a time in history where people are recognizing that that can't be true. And maybe the sense of authenticity in sharing our story and being like, hey, today wasn't a great day. It gives us an opportunity to connect with each other on such a deeper level because that's what's real. And especially in the environment today, I think it's very difficult to act like everything is okay with so much uncertainty and so much stress in the environment um, that I think we all need that human connection of relatability more so than ever before. Absolutely. And, and also that, that um, I can't assume that somebody else's measuring stick of success looks this mine, you know, like, like I, I will see things on social media platforms that talk about, you know, my, my, um, the person that I coached now makes, you know, this six figure amount and, you know, that's used as the measuring stick and that's, that's not my measuring stick. And, and I know everybody has different measuring sticks for that, but, but happiness, um, really is much different than contentment. And, you know, I think being content with, with what you're doing and whatever you've been called to do is really important. Um, and I, that that goes a long way, that contentment goes a long way. I mean, I was having a conversation um, yesterday with my buddy, and it was a conversation about that contentment. You know, often I find it interesting that people who become incredibly successful, if you think about the Steve Jobs, the Jeff Bezos, all these people have all the money in the world. Why is it that these people reflect back and think about, I wish I could go back to the beginning days when we were struggling, when we didn't have any money, it's like, you guys have everything now. And I think that that human experience of recognizing that you were actually happy when you didn't have a lot is something that a lot of people find themselves going back to as like that broken record. And I think that should be a story that we recognize a little bit more often because the measuring stick that society has proclaimed for us is not in the hundreds of thousands or the millions of dollars or the followers that we have, but more so finding your true self-awareness of what really makes you happy. And that's a tough road to go down, but I think we should use some of those big success stories as an example of maybe it's not as important as we think it really is. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about my job, right? That, that it's at the end of the day, you're guiding people to meet their goals and their goals oftentimes align in this existential arena of like, it's not necessarily about me. Like it's about something greater than me. It's something that, um, and when I say it, I'm talking about life. Life is something greater than just me. And what do I want the most when I get to the end of my life? If I'm able to have a life review at the end of my life, um, what would I say that is the most important thing? What did I leave behind? And so I find that a lot of people want to leave a legacy. They want to leave something to the next generation or people down the road that is going to positively impact them. And, you know, I think these little micro things that we do, maybe uh, spreading positivity on, you know, social media platforms or whether that's in face to face conversations or just smiling at a stranger, those things have an impact and they, they add up where they may not seem like much, but they may change somebody's day, which then starts a snowball effect. And maybe that's naive, maybe that's Pollyannish, but I think that there's something to be said for trying to spread positivity in that manner. 
I mean, it's just like, I think about once again, I'll go back to the statement of the human experience. You know, it feels so good when you have a genuine human connection in the real world. I always think about, you know, walking through the mall or something and then stopping somebody and being like, I really like your shoes. And being able to give a simple compliment like that helps them approach the next moment differently because it almost snaps us out of this continuous programming that we have to get from here to there. And it's a moment of experience, a moment of real life. Because I've had those experiences when somebody gives me a compliment and it just makes you feel warm. And that yeah. feeling of warmth helps you carry yourself as your best self into the next moment. And so yeah. I truly believe that those moments that are world shifting are not world shakers, but sometimes they're the small things that are just that domino that ticks the rest of your day. And that's just so Absolutely. powerful to me. I love that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. And, and I can think of those moments too in my own life where someone said something like, I, I like your eyes, you know, like you have, you have nice eyes and, and it's, it's not about the shoes, you know, it's not about like this secondary thing that I bought, but it's about me. Like yeah. it, then it, then it becomes about self and it's like, wow, that person liked my eyes. Like, and then it's still even today where I can say, you know, like, you're, like that, that meant a lot. You just have to be careful not to creep people out when you do it you yeah. know, like <laughs> this day and age. But no, I love that. I love, I love being able to, and pull somebody and maybe a negative state into a positive one. And, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Those small little positive interruptions have the power to change the world and change the way we carry ourselves into the next moment. You know, um, I had a, a guest on the podcast a couple of weeks ago named Brad Reed and Brad does a lot of work in mindfulness. He does a lot of, you know, coaching to help people remember their true potential. That's like repurpose you, his organization. That's what they talk about. <laughs> and he often, um, you know, talks about, Today in the world, we find ourselves operating from the philosophy of do, have, be. What do I have to do so I can have something or have a feeling so I can be the person who I want to? And he's like, you know, sometimes reverse engineering that into be so you can have, so you can do is a better way to approach it. Because often the way in which we perceive the world can be modified by how we approach and treat ourselves. And when we be what we want to see in the world, you have the way of magically impacting those people around you and things start to change for the better. And I think that that's a very interesting perspective to kind of get past the, I guess, cognitive recognition of what do I have to do to accomplish a feeling so I can be this person. But when we reverse engineer that and go be, have, do, um, it seems to get a lot more easy because you can control a lot more in your daily life and your process to be the change that you want to see around. And then the world starts to kind of conspire with you to kind of create those changes as well. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I watched um, elements of that. I mean, I watched that podcast, so I, I know yeah. what you're talking about. And um, I, I think it's interesting, even just from a conversational point of view, that's how we introduce ourselves even, right? This is what I do. This is yeah. maybe what I have. <laughs> now here I am. Instead of presenting it, here I am. And maybe just presence of, let me listen to your story first. Um, and And maybe I'll talk about you know, other tertiary things later on down the road. But I think we're so often uh, defined by the things that we do. Uh, that's just how we're trained and socialized to say, you know, this is my business, this is my trade, this is how I make money um, before we even start to just have presence with someone. And that's something I picked up on recently. I just went to a networking event um, for ACHG, the American College of Healthcare Executives, Nevada chapter here. And we also met with HIMSS, the Nevada chapter. And as we went into this environment, you know, I had some examples of people saying, so what do you do? 
And I thought that that was very interesting to kind of establish the relationship on how do you provide value to others through monetization? And that was a, the opening of our conversation. And so I've always tried to think about what are different ways in which we can approach that first interaction to not put so much weight on what we transact in our society and why that creates so much value. But I think that goes back to the training that we've always been told. What do you do? How do you make money? What value do you create for others? And I think that's so much wider than just our job or even, you know, just the description of how we kind of facilitate transaction of commerce every single day. And I think it's an interesting topic. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to teach in Nigeria a couple of times and uh, take a group of students over to Nigeria with um, another teacher who is born in Cameroon and he spent a lot of time in Nigeria. Um, and so it was this wonderful, like collective experience of, of him being able to help facilitate the cultural differences. But one of the things that I noticed is that people, when they interface with you, the one of the first things that they ask is, how is your family? And I just think that's so interesting because it also takes the emphasis off of you, you know, like rather than how are you doing, it's how are you, how is your family doing? And so that almost puts the, the listener, the one who's to you in a position of reflection about how somebody else is doing rather than themselves, you know? So it's almost like this transferability of like, rather than talk about me, I, I'm talking about my family now. And so it's very much other focused. And I just think that's, that's a fascinating way or example to what you're talking about of taking the focus and shifting it onto something else that's important. I think there's, a, there's an interesting saying and it talks about you know, being compensated from a business perspective. And it's like, you know, often the more times where you serve and help other people solve problems, the more you will be compensated from a monetary perspective. And I think that that even in itself is an interesting way to kind of look at it. You know, when you can create value for others by not focusing on yourself, society has an interesting way of rewarding you for those efforts. You know, some of the biggest problems that people solve are how they're compensated in our society. And so focusing on that simple nuance of, you know, somebody else rather than yourself is a great place to operate from. But there are so many subtle details and subtle, I would say, reminders in our society that that's actually how the world works. You know, it can't always be about Brent. It can't always be about Keenan. It can't always be about, you know, the people who we find ourselves always prioritizing. You know what I mean? Um, but when we focus on others, it's just so powerful to be able to kind of spread that, that energy around. And I think we subconsciously pick up on that as well. Um, that makes, you know, the world go around. And that's just so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like mental health just in general is getting a lot more focus and attention. Um, you know, I've, I went through my training in psychology at the post-grad level, like over 20 years ago now, it makes me feel so old. You know, I, I, I will visit with new students, like doing an interview uh, with them prior to their entrance into the program. And some of them were born like when I was in graduate school. And so it makes me feel super old now. But um, one of the things that I've noticed over the decades, I guess, is this shift into more people being open and willing to talk about mental health. And I, you know, I really have appreciated that uh, from a personal and professional standpoint of, um, you know, just, just wanting to have more conversation, being more vulnerable and open about, you know, what's going on. And I think it also adds space for your platform with Francis too, right? That the people are willing to say, I, I need this service in my life.
I think, um, you know, one of the reasons why I was so inspired to create Francis was because of, you know, some of those generational stigmas that I experienced, you know, my father being black, my mom being white, my father's side of my family never thought they were appropriate candidates to go talk to a therapist, because their severity of mental health was never at that point. And so I look at, you know, creating an opportunity with Francis as an opportunity for people to participate in mental awareness, but also mental health progress and mental wellness in their own right. And so it's kind of like a self-serve model, if you will. But I love the fact that we have younger generations of people who are asking the question, why are we not talking about this? Because I think so many people find themselves in precarious situations where we have to talk about our mental health. And I think the conversations, and this is why I enjoy the podcast so much and being able to have the transparent, open conversation about the importance of these things creates a safe place for others to raise their hand and say, well, I mean, why didn't we ever think about that kind of stuff? And I think that's a, that's a duty of ours to continue the conversation and create a safe space for others to be able to, you know, participate in these fundamental conversations. It can't always just be about the physical, but if we don't have the mental health and the understanding of how that impacts our physical and the way we perceive others and transport our way to participate with others, um, we're doing ourselves a disservice because we are a whole human in general. Um, and I just love the fact that you recognize that as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. My, my, um, a lot of the studies that I did early on is in health psychology. And so I love looking at the, the integrated person and the whole being versus just a physical well-being. And, and so much of, like we had conversation about earlier when we first started about the ways that diet and exercise and spirituality and all of these variables lead to like be pillars of health and wellness and, and being able to address those things as a full person, I think um, is, it's been a huge shift. It sounds like, it sounds like it's not that big of a deal to talk about it now, but it used to be where it was just this biopsychosocial perspective of like, these are the three domains that we're looking at. And um, now, you know, now we're incorporating so many different elements of about who we are um, that it tends to be broader than, than just the, the pathology model. Um, and now we're looking at wellness and prevention and, and things of that nature. Yeah. What a time to be alive, you know, thinking yeah. about the wellness and the prevention aspects of health is something that's very interesting to me as well. You know, I think even coming from the top down, some of our payers are recognizing that it's more expensive to pay for certain treatments, certain health conditions, when we allow for them to get to a certain level of severity. And so if we can be preventative, if we can really educate people about overall wellness, that creates opportunities for them to become more knowledgeable about their health, but also carry themselves more effectively through their daily life, the decisions they make. And at the end of the day, you know, there are financial impacts that occur on the health system as well that are, you know, good. Yeah, sure. That starts a whole nother conversation that <laughs> yeah. like, oh man, don't even get me started on that. Like the, 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 the third party reimbursement and, oh, it's just, it's so difficult for therapists to work with these days. Like the, 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 the insurance companies and they make it difficult and you have to have certain diagnoses and, um, you know, provisional diagnoses. And then they give you a certain amount of sessions and following a protocol. And, um, you know, I, I it's, Therapy works much better when you are able to meet people where they're at and and take therapy, you know, as the session unfolds. Um, and and I think some of that goes back to theoretical orientation, but um, you know, I, I think that it's so important for people to get high quality care that it's just they're they're blocked from that uh, right now. 
Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that gets better with time. But um, uh, I think we're training people up to also think about advocacy as well. So it's not just about um, them and their practice, but also how can they advocate for the field? Yeah. And I think we're seeing the maybe the shift that has occurred out of necessity. You know, I think you're seeing a lot more leaders in healthcare, a lot more professionals having those conversations about what is truly, what is advocating for a client? What is advocating for your field? And sometimes it's not fitting people into a box, which is standardized mm -hmm. and allowing for, like you said, the therapy process to unfold as necessary. Um, because we're all so unique and we all have our unique health journeys. We all have our own processes of being able to deal with certain emotions. And I can imagine from a professional perspective, how difficult it is to try and get somebody through the check boxes so you can get the reimbursement for the services that you're delivering as well. Right, right. That's why you see so many people who are doing therapy move into a private pay scenario or situation where they don't take insurance at all. Um, you know, and so that's where that's where I'm at, too. I try to bump my services down in fees so that people aren't paying as much, but not just cut out the third party reimbursement altogether. And I think yeah. you're seeing a lot more people do that. Uh, and that's, uh, unfortunately, that's becoming more normalized where people aren't even asking about insurance much anymore when they call for, for appointments because they know it's not going to be covered. Yeah. And that's an interesting time that I think we find ourselves in. Um, and I think that that's going to create some, some positives and some negatives once again, you know, and, you know, sometimes we don't have the resources that we need to be able to participate in the services that we really can benefit from. And mm -hmm. so I think the next couple of years in healthcare are going to show us an interesting time um, because we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. Like, how are you supposed to deliver services that are so valuable to people, but you don't get reimbursed timely or you don't get reimbursed at a rate that is efficient for the services that you're delivering as well. Yeah. Um, and like or you said, or you need to hire a full-time secretary just to take care of that administrative assistant, just to be in charge of all of that, because to track it is a huge job. Right? Absolutely. Full-time, yeah. full-time for yeah. sure. So Brent, what are the kind of things that you're excited about right now? What, uh, what could you let the audience know about what's going on in your life and some of the things that you're seeing that are kind of getting you excited these days? Oh man. So like, um, personally or professionally or just in general, what's what, going on? What's going on in your that? world? It, it's how you're uh, prioritizing it. Okay. Okay. So in my world, uh, first of all, I have no idea what in the world I'm doing on LinkedIn. You know, that's how you and I connected, but I, I, I'm grateful for it because it makes for opportunities like this for us to be able to connect. And um, this is my second time talking with you and I, I just really enjoy our conversation. So, um, you know, the things that have me excited are just getting connected with people and supporting other people, being a source of encouragement for them. Um, I'm also... I'm hoping to write a book pretty soon, you know, and, and I would love to to write it on the subject of awe. And I'm really interested in looking at um, like the, the spiritual aspect of awe and then also um, looking at the psychological shifts and physiological shifts that happen with the experience of awe. Um, so people kind of look at me funny when I say I, I want to write about awe. Thanks for keeping a straight face. <laughs> They're like, no, I think this is very interesting. Going to do how, 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 how are you going to do that? And I, so I'm not quite sure yet, but I think that um, there's enough literature out there to be able to make a meaningful body of work about awe uh, and even different cultural variations of the way that we express awe uh, and, and, and how, how and when we feel awe. So um, that's really gets me excited thinking about that. Uh, my private practice 
offers me, uh, you know, great excitement too. I, I love working with kids who struggle with attention and focus issues. And again, I'm not on LinkedIn to advertise that, you know, that, that does well by word of mouth on its own in my area, but um, those are the things that, that, that bring me excitement. And then also the teaching, you know, stuff. I love working with students and, and um, helping the next generation of counselors um, understand how to do therapy and do it well. Well, I mean, I think it's incredibly exciting to hear, you know, that we have leaders like you who are sharing their story and are leading the next generation of our therapists and our counselors into the brave new world. And, you know, I just want to use the last couple of minutes here that we have to kind of give you some praise because I've heard nothing but amazing stuff about you on LinkedIn. And I know everybody who's hearing the show today is going to be able to kind of understand why people are talking about you so highly. And so, you know, whatever we can do to support your efforts in understanding how we can support your mission of creating awareness around awe, which I think is an incredibly important topic, um, is what we're here for. And I just can't thank you enough for kind of being on the show today and, you know, being able to share your story and giving your unique perspective, um, because I know other people hear themselves in the stories that we've shared today. And I just can't thank you enough for that. Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for having me. This is a wonderful experience. And, um, you know, I'd love to reach out with anybody uh, through direct message or whatever, but I'm on LinkedIn. If, if anybody has any questions about anything that we talked about today, uh, or to further explain more about polyvagal theory or you know what it what it means to be a counselor or kind of the educational route that you go to take that I'd, I'd be happy to help anybody along in their journey as well how can they find you on linkedin how should they search you uh just brent moore i guess i i don't even know man it's, it's a brent moore uh phd mba right so uh, i guess that's the the way to find me just by searching that way and then they can get connected with you too. Absolutely. Uh, both, both be connected together. And I, I love I love growing with you and um, just learning about all of the exciting guests that you have on the show too. It's been fun watching. Well, thank you for contributing to this, you know, incredibly important conversation about mental health, about awareness and about everything else that we talked about in today's episode. Um, once again, for everybody who's still listening, thank you so much, Brent, for coming on the show. It means a lot to me. Um, and I can't wait to be able to share this, you know, with the world. So thanks a lot, uh -huh. man. Thank you. Thanks so much.